Glad you could be here with us this morning. Let me ask you, have you ever seen the movie Mr. Holland's Opus? I don't know if you've all seen that some. I've heard a number of yeses. It's an old movie from back in the uh, mid-90s mid or so, and it's a movie I really love a lot. Um, one of the reasons I like the movie so much is that it teaches the importance of influence. <clears throat> Richard Dreyfuss, uh, if you know who that is, he plays the actor or the role of Glenn Holland, whose lifetime dream is to compose a famous symphony. But to support his family, he has to take a job as a music teacher at a local high school, something he did not want to do. And he spends the next 30 years, as it turns out, teaching music to kids, many kids who are disinterested and others that are just simply not very talented. And he laments in many situations that what he has done but as a man of integrity, he learns eventually to really embrace what he's doing. He loves the kids and students, and he gives them a lot of individual attention and focus. And he wonders, though, at times if his life maybe has been wasted, not knowing has he really made that much difference? Is he really impacting anybody long term? But uh, the dramatic ending of the movie underscores the long term impact he does actually have on his students, which is far greater than what he could have ever imagined. You know, as we continue our series about famous friendships in the Bible, based on the premise that we all need more friends, we all want better friends, right? How many in here would like more friends or better friends or both? Right? Most of us, right? If we're honest, we're all in that boat. Well, as we continue to talk about that, I want us to look at mentoring friendships. Mentoring friendships. And one between two guys named Elijah and Elisha, uh, similar names, kind of like Joe and John, would be today, and ask the Lord to teach us something about friendship from yet another angle. Now, most of you are a mentor or a mentee in one way or another. I mean, on one hand, if you're a parent or a grandparent or an older sibling or a teacher in any uh, concept or any way, you are a mentor. And then if you're on the other end of instruction in any way, you are a mentee or a disciple. We see this, this, uh, this kind of dynamic playing out in almost every career field. First, we have the assistants and the, the interns and the understudies and the apprentices. You know, that's on one side. And on the other side, we have all the teachers or trainers or instructors or, again, mentors. And ideally, I think we should, both, we should be on both sides of that coin at the same time all the time. All of us know people that are older than us. That, uh, that we can learn from. <clears throat> we should be mentor or mentor, mentees, I mean, in that context. And all of us know people that are younger than us and should look for opportunities to pour into and disciple those younger than us. Well, the Bible teaches us in the book of Titus that older men are to disciple younger men and older women are to disciple younger women, um, both in regard to spiritual maturity. And because we all know people on both sides of the coin, we should be on both sides of the coin all the time. Well, these mentoring relationships are awesome. They have the potential to become meaningful, deep relationships. Now, I think we need to understand they don't always develop into intimate friendships like what we saw two weeks ago when we talked about David and Jonathan who were like BFFs, I mean, very close intimate friends. Mentoring friendships don't always turn into that because a mentoring friendship means that the two are not equal. 
One is the instructor, the other the, the learner. But still, it can be a beautiful and amazing, rich relationship. It also does not often turn into a long-term friendship. You know, the student graduates or the, the mentor retires or passes away or the assistant takes a job elsewhere. That's a pretty normal thing. But the Old Testament characters, Elijah and Elisha, are a good example of a mentoring friendship, and there's a lot we can learn from them today. You know, their names are similar, like I said, but they are two distinct personalities who brought out the best in each other. So I want to ask if you would, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. You can follow along on the screen if you need to or want to as well. But 1 Kings 19 is where we get acquainted with both of these men and learn from their example about mentorship and following a mentor. All right, the Bible begins in verse 1 of chapter 19. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So, see, this is continuing a story that was in chapter 18 and before, which we don't have time to read, but boy, it's an awesome story. I encourage you to do that on your own time later. But basically, the previous chapter tells us that Elijah was so appalled at the widespread idol worship of the false but very popular god, Baal, that uh, he was so appalled by that that he challenged 450 prophets of Baal to a showdown. You could call it a prayer competition. It's an incredible story. We don't have time to go into it, but basically they prepared an altar and determined that the God who answered the prayer by sending fire down from heaven to consume the offering would be worshipped as the one true God. Okay, that's, that's the agreement. Well, the prophets of Baal, Baal prayed all day to Baal, and yet not even a hint of, uh, you know, a warm breeze came their way. And so eventually when they were done, Elijah was given the opportunity, and he prayed for maybe 20 seconds or so, and boom, God sent fire from heaven that came down and, and consumed everything on the altar, even scorched the earth and lapped up the water that was around the altar, and everybody fell to their faces and acknowledged the one true God. And Elijah then at that point had the 450 prophets of Baal executed. And that's when, then in verse 2, the Bible says, so Jezebel, based on that, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, I want you dead. Well, you know how Elijah responded to that? I mean, this miracle-working, courageous, bold man of God who had just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. You know what he did? He ran away in fear and crying. Verse 4 says, He himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. Quote, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. Now, why would a guy who had just been so successful in confronting evil, confronting, confronting false prophets, standing up to that, in fact, even, even um, uh, kind of taunting them on the way. I mean, it's a, it's a story that has humor in it as well. Why would he be afraid and run for his life because of the threat of one woman. All right, now that's a dangerous question. I'm not even going to answer that. <laughs> For one, I don't even know the answer really. <clears throat> but, uh, but Elijah did run 
We see that. He was so down on himself that he said, I wish I were dead. I mean, he needed some serious help in this moment. You know, some people are pretty even-keeled emotionally. Maybe, maybe many of you would say that's me. Uh, others of you are more like me, maybe more like Elijah, and you tend to kind of be more of a roller coaster emotionally. I tend to be that way at times. You know, sometimes after an emotional high, I seem to, for whatever reason, find myself kind of vulnerable to an emotional low or a time of melancholy. And I know it's not that uncommon. There are a lot of other people in that boat. And I think that's what was going on here. That's what happened with Elijah. I mean, he had celebrated a great victory one moment, and therefore he was ripe for some emotional downtime after that. In fact, to the point that he even couldn't see a reason to keep living, all because of the threat of this woman named Jezebel, which of course should not have worried him. I mean, after God is. After what God has just done for him and through him, why should he fear? And yet he did. He needed a lot of help. Well, God, as he always does, showed up in perfect form. God, true to his character, was patient with him and loved him in the middle of the mess, in the middle of where Elijah was in that moment. Our God was patient and loving with him just like he is with you and me. Oh, I love that about our God. We see it over and over throughout the story of the Bible. Not just this story, but so many other stories. Our God is an awesome God. Amen? Oh, it's such a true and wonderful thought. Well, as you continue to read 1 Kings, you see that, he, that God understood Elijah, was patient with Elijah, and that he gave Elijah four gifts to help him regain his passion and focus in life. First of all, he allowed Elijah to sleep He refreshed him physically, which is a big deal. He renewed his physical rest. Elijah was worn out, so God gave him the gift of rest. And then secondly, I love this. It's a longer story, but the short version is that God revealed himself to him and gave him some spiritual insight. See, God spoke to him in a gentle, quiet whisper. God allowed an earthquake and a a flash fire and a tornado all to come by, but God wasn't in any of that. And there was a point to that. That got his attention, but that wasn't what God wanted to use. It wasn't until Elijah was still and quiet that he was able to hear the gentle whisper of his Lord. And that is what God wanted. He wanted him to be still and know that he was God, Psalm 46.10 And when Elijah was able to listen and chose to listen, then he heard God's voice. He had a renewed spiritual insight. You know, sometimes we need to just listen to God and be in his presence. And God worked through that for Elijah, and he can for you and I if we will be still and listen. But thirdly, God gave Elijah renewed focus. He basically said, Elijah, I I want you to go back to where you were and anoint and train some new leaders. One of the quickest ways to get out of depression is to focus on other people rather than on yourself. Then lastly, to lift Elijah's spirits, God gave him a little bit more focus in that context when he gave him a special gift of a friend to mentor. It's a beautiful thing. In 1 Kings 19, verse 16, God tells him to anoint and mentor Elisha to succeed him as the next prophet. Not just all these guys in general, but this one man in particular I want you to take under your wing and mentor. So I think there are several lessons for, in fact, that we can learn from this story 
about mentorship from Elijah and Elisha's story. And the first one is simply this. A mentoring friendship often provides a renewed sense of purpose, of purpose. You know, few things will renew your energy like being involved in a mentoring relationship. When your attention is shifted away from yourself to other people, good things happen. When you start focusing on the present and what is in front of you rather than just what's in the rearview mirror, good things happen. And when Elijah was depressed, God gave him an assignment to befriend and teach this person named Elisha. And that friendship helped to change his attitude. Look at verse 19 of, of this chapter. and It's where we are introduced to Elisha. The Bible says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. So apparently Elisha was a wealthy farmer. I mean, he had twelve plow teams, and he's driving one of them himself. That means evidently he had eleven servants driving the other eleven. So, you know, if a man today has twelve tractors, he's driving one, and he has eleven people driving the other eleven, he's probably a pretty successful uh, farmer with a lucrative business. Well, verse 19 continues, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, that's an invitation to follow him. That's the point. And verse 20 says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Just like that. Snap the fingers. There he went. I mean, if Billy Graham or somebody like that came to me or, or to you and said, I want you. Come. Let's, I, want to, I want to talk with you. I want you to follow me. I think most of us would be pretty quick to listen, depending on who that person was. And that's what happened here. But verse 20 goes on to say, Elisha responded, Well, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. And Elijah replied to that, Okay, go back. What have I done to you? In other words, of course, I'm sorry I didn't think of that myself. That makes perfect sense. This is a huge request. Sure, take a moment. Verse 21, So Elisha, check this out, Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. Here's a second lesson I think we need to learn from this story, and that is that mentoring friendships always require sacrifice. Sacrifice. You know, Elisha was a prominent farmer, right? We see that pretty clearly. And yet he left everything behind to follow Elijah. Elisha could have asked a relative or a friend or neighbor or something to, to kind of lease things or, or, or at least keep things running for him just in case this whole thing with Elijah didn't work out so that he could always come back and, uh, you know, have something to fall back on. But he didn't do that, did he? Not at all. No, he slaughtered the oxen, he burned the plow equipment so as to cook all the meat, and then he gave everything away. He was all in. He trusted Elijah completely, or really he trusted God completely through the voice of Elijah. There was nothing half-hearted about this situation. And you know what? We don't hear much about Elisha again for several chapters as you continue to read. He had to sacrifice resources, obviously, we see that, but also live in obscurity for a while as he humbly learned a new calling. There was sacrifice involved here. And of course, there was also sacrifice on the other end of the equation from Elijah's side as well. There is always cost and work involved in mentoring someone. For a mentoring friendship to be meaningful, there must be willingness from both 
parties, to be willing to sacrifice time, resources, uh, ego. In fact, I would put it like this, an investment in the future always requires some sacrifice in the present. That's true in not only relationships, but in so many ways. An investment in the future always requires some sacrifice in the present. You know, I've mentored or coached countless others over the years, and it's often cost quite a bit in terms of time and energy, sometimes resources as well, and it's not always produced as much fruit as I would have liked or as I wished it had, but in the end, it has always been worth it. Cumulatively, as I look at what God has done in this context in my life— from one side, the mentors who have poured into me, knowing I know that it has cost them at times, that I haven't always been maybe as fruitful as what they hoped for. And on the other end of the scale, when I have poured into others and helped others, both ends of that scale, when I look at this cumulatively, I just praise God for how He has worked in mentoring relationships in my life on either side of the, of the coin. It is worth it. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll skip ahead just a little bit. And at this point, God has just informed Elijah that his ministry is over, and he's going to be taken up into heaven in an unusual way. In fact, Elijah was one of only two Bible characters to not actually die, only two. There's him, and there's a man named Enoch whose story is in Genesis 5. But Elijah was going to be swept up into heaven in a miraculous fashion. He's the prototype of the way those who are alive when Christ returns will get to experience things, will be instantly transformed and taken into heaven. Elijah got to experience that. And, oh, man, I get fired up when I think about what if, what if that were us? What if Christ returned while we're still all alive? What if that happened today? Wouldn't that be amazing? My blood gets fired up in a good way. I mean, it's, an, it's a thrilling thought to know that that could happen. And that's what Elijah basically experienced Let's look at the Scripture together. Elijah told his understudy Elisha that he was leaving and not coming back. And Elisha insisted on going with him. Here's how chapter um, 2 of 2 Kings reads. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, something like a spiritual tornado, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, together in other words. Skip to verse 4. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he, Elisha, replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. So here's a possible lesson we could learn. And that is, good mentees disobey the instruction of the mentor. No, that's not it. Don't write that down. It's not really it. But, but a good friend does recognize or perceive accurately when no doesn't always mean no. Do you know what I mean? You know, about 10 or 12 years ago or so, when I was biking around Rampart Reservoir one time with my brother Barry, um, I had an accident from being a little too aggressive on a technical part of the ride, that's kind of something I did a lot, and uh, I ended up hurting myself and the bike. I was bleeding, the bike was broken, and, um, and that meant I had to push, not ride, I had to push the broken bike on a hobbled leg about six miles because we were halfway around the trail. That's kind of a long, it was not, it was not easy, and, um, and Barry at that point asked me if I wanted him to join me and to, you know, 
abandon the ride and, and just walk slowly back with me. And I said, no, you don't need to do that. Um, I'm fine. You know, I'm, it's going to take a while, but I'll push it back. Keep going. Have some fun. Finish the ride. And you've got your truck. I've got mine. When you get back, you can head on home. And uh, when I finally get home, I'll give you a call and tell you how it went or whatever. Well, Barry knew I didn't mean a word of that. <clears throat> and so he turned around and walked all six miles back with me. And I greatly appreciated it. And I think Elijah was, you know, in this moment in a similar situation. He's about to experience something totally unknown. And he said to Elisha multiple times, you don't need to go with me. But Elisha knew him well enough to say, there's no way. You know, I am going with you regardless of what you say. And I would guess Elijah greatly appreciated it. Uh, verse 6 goes on, then Elijah said to him, stay here. Again, the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Same thing happened a third time. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. In other words, the, the seminary students sensed that something cool or unique is about to happen, and so they just wanted to stay and watch, see the show. Well, Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry land. Not all that dissimilar from what God had done through Moses with the crossing of the Red Sea. You know, often death is spoken of in spiritual circles as crossing over the Jordan. Never heard that term? Crossing over the Jordan. Well, there's a song that says, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. And Elijah is crossing over the Jordan never to return. But he doesn't have to cross alone because Elisha goes with him. Well, verse 9 continues, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Great question. You see, the teacher is sensitive to the needs of the student. He wants to do everything he can to help his mentee, Elisha, succeed. And look at Elisha's answer. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, that might sound a little egotistical to some people, at least on the surface. I mean, he's basically saying, I want to be twice the prophet you are. But in that day, the oldest son received a double portion of the father's inheritance. The oldest son was the primary heir in virtually every situation. And Elisha is requesting to be the primary prophet of God. This is about pure motives, about honoring God, wanting to do as much as possible for Almighty God. It's not wrong to ask God to give you a big responsibility or opportunities to do great things. After all, we serve a big God. Why should we ask for small things? Caleb did that at age 85. You know, you remember the story of Joshua and Caleb at age 85. He said, Lord, please give me this hill country. Jabez did it when he prayed, bless me, O Lord, and enlarge my territory. Billy Graham, who we mentioned earlier, he once did it. He related that as a young man, he once prayed, Lord, please give me the ability to do great things for you. And here, Elisha asks Elijah, please give me a double portion of your spirit so that I can do greater things for God. Not because I want to be so all that, but because I want to honor God to the very utmost um, that I can. Why should we ask 
for small stuff from such a big God. Verse 10 goes on, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. Hold on to that. But you know, a wise mentor recognizes that while we can teach and train a student, God alone can anoint and appoint. Their future success is ultimately up to God, not us. We've got to remember that. Verse 11 continues, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and this is incredible, appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. This is where that great old song comes from. You probably know it. Come on, sing a verse with me. Swing low, sweet chariot. Come on, coming for to carry me home. All right, we could keep going, but we'll stop there. But anyway, we know the song, and that's where it comes from. This is such an incredible story. Verse 12 continues, Elisha saw this, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. But notice what did happen. He had seen the chariot. And so therefore, as Elijah had said, he was able to receive a double portion of God's Holy Spirit. And the mantle or the baton was passed. Verse 14 and 15 read, Then he, Elisha, took the cloak that had fallen from from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. And the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him in worship of God. The passing of the baton was complete. Elijah was in heaven taken up in this whirlwind, one of only two people to not die to get there. And now Elisha was the prophet through whom God would continue to do many great things, amazing things. But I want you to look back at verse 9. Let me show you that again and show you a third lesson we can learn from this story. The Bible says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, and he asked this question, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? You know, Elisha, as the younger one who was being mentored, had asked many great questions along the way. Of course, we know that. that, uh, Mentorees do that a lot. He had asked many great questions, learned a ton from Elijah. But here, even the mentor asked a great question. So here's a third, third point I think we can learn from this. In fact, it's a repeat of a point we made two weeks ago in the story about David and Jonathan, peer to peer best friend type relationship. It can also apply in mentoring relationships. And that is this. Deep friendships are built more on asking questions than giving input. We need to think about that. Andy Stanley is a pastor, author. Um, I've heard him speak a number of times. I, I was once at a conference where he was speaking and, and he said something that really stuck with me. He, he said, so I wrote it down and it's still something I have written down in my little thing of notes that I refer back to once in a while. He once said, great leaders ask great questions and surround themselves with others who do the same. This is not a complicated point. And yet my observation as 
your pastor and as a pastor for others over the many years that I've been doing ministry is that while this is not difficult, it is one of the simplest principles around, it is one of the most ignored principles as well by most of us. You know, the Bible tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak for a reason. The Bible, or God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And that is that He wants all of us to understand the power of listening more than just talking and giving input. We need to ask questions. And yet, despite the truth of this logic that we would all go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree with that. Most of us do the opposite. We talk twice as much or more than that than, when, than, than how much we listen. And then we find ourselves wondering, why don't I have more friends? Why don't more people want to hang out with me? Friends, I would tell you this. Don't miss this. If you want closer friends or just more friends in general, then I want to encourage you to learn to, to think about this, to, to learn to ask more questions and give less input. Listen more than you talk. When you develop relationships or begin to ask God to help you do what is not natural, to break your natural human um, tendency and learn how to ask questions and follow up more questions and try to really pay attention to what they're saying so that you retain some of that and, and can understand what's going on in their world before you just tell them all the things that are, that are coming into your mind that, you know, that, that uh, they have triggered with whatever they said. Because as that old cliche says, you've probably all heard it, we don't all live by it, but we need to. The old cliche is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Will you say that with me? Say it out loud with me. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. That is an old cliche, but that is so true. There is so much wisdom to that. And I want to encourage you to, to just take time to learn how to practice this. Ask God to help you develop this. Learn how to listen more. I guarantee it will make a big impact on your relationships, whether it be in peer friendships, you know, like what we talked about two weeks ago with David and Jonathan, you know, buddies, best friends, or whether it be in a mentoring kind of relationship or any kind of relationship, learning to ask more questions and give less input is a powerful thing. Well, Elijah here asked a great question, and because of it, Elisha's um, bold answer was, was listened to as well, and God worked in great ways. And Elisha went on to have a spectacular ministry for the Lord. In fact, there are actually more impressive miracles attributed to him than to Elijah. He cleansed the water supply. He cured lepers. He made an axe head float. That's an interesting story. He even raised the dead. But we're talking about decades of faithfulness and, and amazing things that happened through his life. A lot of it going back to the asking of questions. But here also is a fourth and final lesson we can learn from this story, and that is this. The impact of a mentoring friendship is usually not evident for many years. Many years. It often takes a lot of time. You know, for a period of time, Elisha had to swallow his pride, live in obscurity. He, again, remember, he sold everything and he followed, and then the Bible didn't even hardly talk about him for many chapters as he was learning as the, mentee, as the mentee, as the disciple, to be loyal, to just learn from Elijah. And in that same time frame, Elijah had to encourage, instruct, even confront, be patient with Elisha, not knowing in advance how this was all going to play out. 
Elijah didn't know how it would turn out in the end. But many years later, the friendship did pay off. And the years of teaching brought a harvest of righteousness to the nation. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if, everybody say if, if, circle that word, if we do not give up. You know, in the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, the music teacher had to shelve his goal of writing a symphony because he needed a job. And that was the best job he could come up with at the time. But as that job turned into a career, it turned into a passion. And he began to truly enjoy mentoring the young people that came his way in his classroom, spending extra time beyond what the contract called for, after school, on his own time, on his own dime, making a difference in their lives. And yet, even despite all of that, he still often kind of wondered, is he really making a difference? I mean, sometimes it felt like, yeah, I probably am, but other times, not so much. And there was really no way to know. He couldn't truly evaluate that his on his own. Well, when Mr. Holland finally retired, it was a pretty anticlimactic moment. No fanfare, no parade, no big to-do over him. Uh, he cleaned out his desk and he walked the empty hallway one last time with his wife and his now grown son as they headed out to the car. You know, after the last day of school, the building's empty, they've got some boxes in their hand. But what Mr. Holland didn't know was that hundreds of his former students had secretly gathered in the auditorium to say thanks for the huge influence of his life and his friendship, his mentorship as a teacher over the decades. He didn't know they were there. He thought the building was empty as he was walking out, but he heard some noise down the hallway. It sounded like maybe it was coming from the auditorium. So he walked over there just to investigate as he was leaving, make sure everything was okay. And what followed was a huge outpouring of thanks and gratitude and applause and love for something that he had ironically been pretty short on confidence about. And that was whether or not it had really mattered. Had he really made a difference? He was doubting that all along, but all of a sudden, wow, an overpouring, outpouring of, of evidence to the, to the opposite. In fact, one of his worst music students from way back, uh, who had really struggled with the clarinet, but he had faithfully worked with her to try to help her, and she started to make improvement. She gained confidence, and she ended up doing well in school. She went on, actually, years later to become the first female governor of the state, and on behalf of the hundreds of others in that gym, she turned to him at one moment and said, as he was overcome with emotion and shock and all of that, she turned to him and said, Mr. Holland, look around you. We are your symphony, and we cannot say thank you enough. And he was overwhelmed, and the standing ovation just continued and continued. It was an amazing moment in an incredible movie. You know, the impact of a mentoring friendship is not realized oftentimes for many, many years. But I want you to, rem to remember that patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit, I want you to remember that we need to not only be patient, but know that God is patient with us and be grateful for that. And we need to take to heed, we need to heed what the Bible says in Galatians that we just read. Not growing weary and doing good, but in due season, knowing that we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Would you stand with me? 
You know, if you're not intentionally mentoring anyone, pouring into someone, I want to encourage you. I don't care how old you are. Some of you think that ship has sailed. I want to tell you otherwise. If you're not mentoring somebody else, I want to encourage you to pray and consider and let God speak to you about who you might be able to pour into and help. Maybe it's children downstairs helping Miss Debbie Blackwell with the children. Maybe it's being a life group leader, talking to to Craig Walker. Maybe it's helping being a greeter, um, helping, I mean, you might think, well, that's small and insignificant. No, it's not. You only get one chance to make a first impression. That's a big deal. There are so many ways. Maybe it's a one-on-one relationship with a friend, a neighbor, a lost person, maybe a saved person who just needs help growing. One way or the other, I want to encourage you to consider and pray about, God, would you show me who I, can, who I can invest in? A lot of people are like, well, I just, that's not for me because I don't know very much. I'm not wise enough to be a mentor. And yet, as I think, hopefully we've already established, you can know the truth, which is people don't necessarily care about how much you know. They care about how much you care about them. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I want to encourage you to rest in that truth and look for a way to pour into somebody else. Secondly, if you're on the other side of that, as you think about that, I want to encourage you to look for a mentor. Look for somebody who can encourage you and help you. Maybe somebody who's been around the block a time or two more than you that you could learn from, humbly submitting to and saying, I want to, I want to learn more from you. That doesn't mean they're perfect. That doesn't mean they know everything. But learn from somebody else. At a bare minimum, we all need to learn how to live out Proverbs 27, 17 that says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, or one friend sharpens another friend. We can all in that way learn from others if we are humble enough to seek out and pursue somebody else. But more than either of those, in terms of significance, the most important thing as we close is this. I want to remind you that Jesus wants to be the ultimate friend and your ultimate mentor. That's why he said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Then he goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Humbly learn from me as your mentor and as your teacher, as your Lord. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. As we close and as we sing, I want to just lay before you an invitation that if God is speaking to you, maybe in a gentle, quiet whisper like he did to Elijah, you need to listen. Maybe he wants you to come and kneel and pray. Maybe he wants you to come and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. Maybe there's one or multiple people that have not yet done that. Maybe there's some other decision, but would you respond? If he lays before you or whispers something in your ear, would you respond as we sing together?